0: Trial Brief with your host, David Otto.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Trial Brief. I hope that you and your family had a relaxing and enjoyable 4th of July weekend, and hopefully you were able to catch the Hamilton movie over the weekend as well. It seems like every 4th of July weekend they, they run some old classic movies. You know, you see there's some old movies on TV, and I, I saw that uh, they were running the Maltese Falcon, which was very fitting for this show. Sam Spade, the private investigator played by Humphrey Bogart, uh, is one of the all time great characters, and and he's one of the, the great fictional private investigators of all time. And today we're going to talk a little bit about, or actually we're going to talk a lot about private investigators and their role in personal injury practices specifically. Private investigators have become such an integral part of a law practice, whether it's personal injury or any other area of law. And whether you're using a private investigator for case intake, or for witness statements, photographs, or if you're using them to uh, search for records that you as the attorney or you as the general public don't have access to, the private investigator is a crucial tool in the lawyer's toolbox. Our firm has been representing victims of childhood sexual abuse for a number of years now, and Some of the incidents that took place in schools or churches or synagogues took place many years ago, and a good private investigator is really crucial to helping us make out our case. So I'm very lucky to have Matt Spare from Satellite Investigations as a guest today. Matt's firm specializes in plaintiff's litigation, and their expertise ranges from standard personal injury cases, slip and falls, and motor vehicle accidents to nursing home, medical malpractice litigation, sexual abuse cases as well. Matt Spare, he's a seasoned pro, over 23 years of experience in investigations and almost 20 years in the legal field. Matt is very active in many professional associations, including the World Association of Detectives, the Society of Professional Investigators, the National Voice of Investigation and Security Professionals, as well as a partner of the New York State Trial Lawyers Association as a partner for justice. And I'm really, uh, really happy to have Matt here today to talk to us about private investigators' role in a personal injury practice. So, Matt, thank you so much for being here.
0: Hey, David. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to talk to you.
1: Well, I'm a big fan of your podcast, by the way, and we'll talk about that in a little while. First, tell me about Satellite Investigations.
0: Sure. I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. So Satellite Investigations has been in business for about 15 years. I uh, started in this business almost about 20 years ago. I worked in-house for a plaintiff personal injury attorney up in the Bronx. I got to a point where he was pushing me to go to law school. He had offered me a great deal to go to law school and collect the paycheck and then come work for him when I uh, got out. And it was something I really considered. I... uh, I took the LSATs and went through that whole process. I um, got accepted into PACE uh, up in uh, Westchester and uh, had this whole freak out moment where I decided I wanted to be an investigator and not an attorney. It was really cool because I learned actually how attorneys think, right? the, the contrapositive and, and really uh, considering alternate possibilities of looking at cases was really helpful for me. Uh, and understanding. You know, it was good to work in-house for an attorney to understand that whole process, but also training the potential be an attorney, I thought was really, really helpful for me. I kind of had that freak out moment. I wrote a uh, business plan, went to a bank, convinced them that uh, Thomas Magnum is not real, and investigators really do work for attorneys, and uh, I convinced the bank to give me a small loan, and my business just took off after about six or seven months. I was struggling for a bit, and then it just really took off. I got some really good uh, paying clients early on and I, I paid off that loan. It was a seven-year loan. I paid it off in two years. So God really blessed me and and my business. And uh, now we, we've grown. I think I worked for 110 law firms last year. Wow. Um, so yeah, good book of business. Plain of personal injury is about 98 to 99% of what, uh, what we
1: do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, y- you've done some great work for me. I'll, I'll get that out in full disclosure as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, when you were considering going into law, was investigations always always in the back of your mind, or was it something that really hit you once the decision came about law school?
0: I think, you know, it, it always, you know, like in my mind, I always like problem solving, right? Trying to figure out why something happened, was something very early on, I identified that in, in high school, right? That, uh, you know, A, I like history, and, and B, I like trying to solve problems. I had a, a guidance counselor who really didn't give me much guidance. He actually asked me if I would go into college after I'd been accepted. <laughs> so that was, uh, it was pretty funny. I ended up going to Sanjay college of criminal justice and, and mm. from there, you know, just my passion for, for criminal justice really grew. And when I graduated in 1995, New York city went on a hiring freeze. I was supposed to actually go work for the department of investigation. They had to rescind the job offer to me because the, the city went on a three year hiring freeze. So mm. it just, wasn't in the cards. And, uh, you know, I, I always initially was intimidated about the idea of becoming a lawyer. I never saw myself as, as, as doing that. But yeah, I got this opportunity after kicking around for a couple of years doing some investigations to go work for the attorney. And I really started to understand the process of how it all works. And it got to the point where I was drafting notices of claim for this attorney. Um, I was working on um, bill of particulars and, and really just understanding the nuts and bolts, you know, going through depositions and, and highlighting things. Uh, you know, there weren't any scanners or anything really, uh, you know, that technology wasn't quite there yet uh, at that time. So, uh, you know, have, have the young guy in the office, come through and pick the things out that are important. I really found this love and, and I gravitated towards plaintiff because I really have this passion of helping people. And it's something that I discovered like during you know, the, the new case intake, when you're sitting down with somebody, I always, my style was always educating that person on what a lawsuit was and how it worked. When you're meeting somebody who's had an accident, they've had just had a very traumatic thing happen to them or one of their loved ones, and being able to actually walk them through the the process was something I really loved doing, right? I loved having that back and forth with them and feeling like the work that I was doing was important. Going to court and filing RJIs and things like that, I didn't really care for that too much. There was some skill in that as well, though. Getting to know the court clerks, who they were, and, and, you know, when when your paperwork wasn't completely right, but it was something that you could fix and not have to go back to the office, you know, developing relationships with them so they're not throwing you out the door. I was able to do that, Um, you know, and it's uh, just finding something that you had in common with these people. I remember there was a guy uh, up in the Bronx that worked in the uh, subpoena records department. I don't remember his name, but he was this really old guy and he had a really long beard and he was like the grumpiest guy in the world, you know, and every time, like, we were trying to get subpoena records, like, he was just nasty, but I was always kind with him. I figured if I said, hey, how you doing? How's your day? And just took an interest to in, how are you doing, doing. Like, he actually warmed up to me. And I think he might even have retired by the time I, I stopped doing it. But uh, yeah, we developed a relationship. And that spurned the idea of like, hey, I can do this. and mm-hmm. I want to look into, into doing it. So I came to a crossroads, I guess, and, and mm-hmm. decided to be an investigator, not an attorney.
1: Great. You know, speaking about relationships, you do primarily you know, work in the personal injury field. And you formed the relationship over the years, a long-time relationship, as a matter of fact, with the New York State Trial Lawyers Association. And as you know, I'm a I'm a proud long-time member as well. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, great. That's uh, actually a great question, man. Thanks for uh, for asking about that. So when I was very early uh, on in, in the business, I actually had a relationship with uh, with a guy named John Afridis uh, anyone who's been practicing law in New York knows who John Freed is if you try cases, right? John is the uh, trial photography expert. And uh, I had met John through a big case I worked on for the attorney that I was working for before I started my own business. John was gracious enough to take me to uh, decisions back in 2005. And he said, hey, come help me at my booth. You, know, you can bring your business cards with you and I'll introduce you to some people. And, and this was the time in decisions where they actually let us stay for lunch. So I got to sit down at a you know 7200 round table with a whole bunch of lawyers and talk right we well, so talk about
1: actually, when you talk about decisions you're you're referring to the continuing legal education programs that the, the state trial lawyers put on
0: correct yeah so the new york city version of that john was gracious enough to invite me to to uh, be a part of this and i was you know blown away by how receptive people were there and how nice they were to vendors and you know obviously people know John are you know, John says Matt's a good guy then you know got my foot in the in the door there so I always wanted to be a partner but I couldn't afford it at that particular time because it is an investment being a partner for Justice you know it's a commitment um, but I really believe in what Nisla does because it's really really important you know having that voice up in Albany I mean it's so so important and and going to the galas like the Law Days further on when I started getting involved and really understanding what. You guys do up in Albany. It just really made it that more important to me to be a part of it and always make sure that I support the organization. It's been beneficial for me. You know, it's definitely a mutual relationship. So finally, I was able to join this as a partner. I guess I, I'm about nine years in now. I'm eight or nine years, and I just watched my business grow. And it all stems from just showing up and supporting. Right. So if you go to the events and you actually have conversations with people, you know. Don't go to an event and sit in the corner and do nothing and, and expect your business to grow. No, you've got to go out and introduce yourself, you know, and, and get that introduction from one lawyer to another um, has been you know, paramount for me. Honestly, David, it's about 90% of my advertising budget is what I pay for NISL. And uh, the, the work I get out of it, it's, just, it's amazing. So I, I am a staunch supporter of NISTLA and what they do, and uh, it's just been a great uh, opportunity. And I was actually had the honor, I guess it was about a year and a half ago, to actually uh, teach a program. I put together a, uh, a program w- with um, Halina Rachenko. Uh, there were a few other lawyers, and, and we were able to talk about investigations. I had a little segment, and uh, it was great to actually, you know, here is a guy who, who was going to go to law school and was going to be a lawyer, and now all of a sudden, you know, 10, eight or nine years later, I'm actually teaching a CLE. It was kind of like coming full circle for me. Wow. Uh, it, was a, it was a very, uh, you know, a proud moment for me personally, you know, to be able to do that. Something I always wanted to do.
1: Sure. Oh, that's great. Tell us a little bit about a day for you. You get a call from a, a lawyer who's working on a case. He needs you to find a witness that's missing. He needs you to take photos. He needs you to, to do a variety of things. So take us through a, a typical day and a, a typical request of you.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, man. I, I, I think like, a lot of attorneys don't realize exactly how how much we can help you guys with your cases. <laughs> you know, and it, it's more than just finding a witness. It's more than just taking photos. Um, you know, we do everything from, from intake to your actual trial. You can have an investigator uh, involved in every turn of that. Right. Um, and, and it's almost like we're there to uh, give you leverage, right? We're there to to dig up information that's going to be beneficial for you. Where uh, when you get to mediation or you get to negotiating, um, you know, if we've got a really strong witness statement for you, uh, it gives you leverage, right? You can tell the carrier. We've already spoken to the witness. We know what happened. Uh, we've got a signed statement. And it's always important, too, that the investigator you're working with is a, a notary. Um, you always want that statement to be notarized. If you don't have a notarized statement, you're pretty much guaranteed now that you have to have a deposition and pull that person in because it's, it's not a sworn statement. So that, that's always really important, too. So, I mean, our, our day... Uh, a lot of the work that I do, especially early on, was the was, uh, new, new case intakes, right? So somebody calls your firm or looks you up on the Internet and they decide they'd like to retain you. There are a lot of lawyers out there that actually use investigators to go and meet with that person in their home or meet with them at the hospital. The, the thought behind it is they want to get it signed up and, and, and get it retained as soon as possible, right? If the person they're talking to is not making an appointment with the investigator or the attorney, they're calling three other law firms and then they'll make a decision. But if you can get them locked into the appointment, there's a good chance they're going to sign the retainer with you and you're going to proceed. There was a firm that I, a big firm that I actually worked with out on Long Island, where we did analysis of it uh, at one point, and we found that if we were able to lock in an appointment with the uh, potential client when they were calling in, before they even hung up the phone, like they had gotten me on the phone, the um, turnaround on that or the retention rate on that was, was about 98% that they would actually sign up and, and uh, stay with the law firm. And, he, and these, they did an analysis for cases that were uh, under $700,000. It equated to like an extra $1.2 million of revenue for that firm. It, it, the difference in the retention rate between you know 98%. I think they were running at about 75% at that particular point before we started doing the analysis on it. So it was like a big, big difference. So the thought is having an investigator there, you have a bigger arm, right? So it's not just one attorney or two attorneys that have to go out now and meet with people. If you have a good investigator that you can trust to represent your firm in a a good fashion, you can have many investigators out and you can cover many areas and, and retain more cases. And let's be honest, David, you want, as an attorney, you want to be litigating your cases, right? Uh, Time for you to get get in a car and go to a hospital or go to a person's house is is time that you're not doing motion practice. You know, it's time you're not, you know, preparing for your deposition. You're not uh, doing what you need to do. So, you know, it's like let the lawyers be lawyers and let the support staff be support staff and you'll have a more productive firm. So that's always been the idea behind it. And as an investigator, one of the things I realized very early on is we're not just investigators. We're actually salespeople for your firm. So as we're going and we're doing these intakes, you know, I always encourage um, my staff to understand the firm that they're working for, right? There should be a little pitch, right? There should be a story. Oh, this firm is great. You know, they handled a case for my family. Like uh, my uncle, I gave them a case, I re- retained a case. And this is all truthful, right? There are some firms I work with that I have retained family members or sent family members over to them. But I always had a story prepared about, you know, my experience in doing business with that firm. Oh, you know, I'm a small business and, you know, they always pay their bills to me like clockwork. I never have an issue or problem customer service is really great with this firm. You know, it's like we're giving them a sales pitch and making them comfortable with who they're retaining, right? So I identified that very early on that that was important. So, yes, we're investigators, but we're also salespeople, right? We're showing up and we're basically pitching the, the firm and making sure that the retainer signed. You know, and mm-hmm. if there's any issues, why are we not signing that retainer? Okay, let me get the attorney on the phone and just being that liaison and going back and forth. And, you know, I, I developed a really good business doing that. I mean, some of the firms we were working with, we are doing 30 to 40 it takes a month for them. You know, this is a big, big, good uh, book of business. And, and the other thing I identified very early on is preparing a report to go along with it, right? Using our, our analysis of things that needed to be done on the case. And I, I also understood that you guys want your bullet points, right? I don't need to do a five-page paper on, on the case, right? Give me the who, what, when, where, how, and tell me what I need to do the follow following that needs to get done on it. Short, sweet, right? Bullet points. Keep it simple. Uh, sure. That was something I, did, I had very early on, too. Um, so the intake was a, is, a, is a big part of what we do. Acid recovery is another big point. When I started off doing investigative work, I did a lot of process service as well. I kind of got away from that personally because uh, when the laws changed and they were requiring bonds and, and uh, a lot of technical gear involved with it, I, I, there just wasn't enough money in it for me. So there are some great process serving firms I, I work with, I have great relationships with but my people that work with me aren't actually going out to the surfing process. Um, but that is another aspect of what we do. Yeah, you know, the witnesses that you had mentioned, the, the uh, site investigation, you know, understanding what a notice of claim is and what to look for is really important on premises cases. If you don't have a good investigator that understands that, that can grasp it, you know, um, you're not getting all the information that you need and you, you're losing time. So that's uh, something that's, that's really important, Jim. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, for sure. Another aspect, you know, you have access to to databases, right. That are really helpful for, for lawyers like me, uh, just to give everybody an idea, you know, you, you worked on a case for me on a, uh, child sex abuse, uh, matter. And we, we needed to find, uh, we needed to find out about the, the potential defendant, uh, we needed to get some sort of history and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and, and you were able to put together a a picture that was very, very helpful for us in drafting our complaint and with pursuing, you know, the claims that, that we had.
0: Yeah. And those cases are really challenging. And, you know, I've actually worked on a lot of those cases in the last, I guess, year, year and a half. It's ever since the the statute has been open to, to file these claims here. We've kind of, dabbled in trying, trying to help attorneys you know, get information um, on these cases it is really always a challenge because, one, it's usually old, right? These are abuses that happened in the late 70s, or <laughs> I had one in the 1968 that I was working on.
1: That's a great point because those cases, the, the ones we have, we have cases that date back to the late 60s as well, uh, yeah. and we have cases that span, you know, these are schools, you know, usually they're, they're high schools, elementary schools. Uh, and we have cases that span throughout the, the decades and you know, the the cases hinge, you know, your ability to prove the case hinges on your ability to, to find evidence and, and, yeah. and going back that, that, you know, going back that far uh, it, that's where someone like you comes in. So.
0: Yeah. And what what I've found along the lines, uh, David, is, is that it's sometimes it's better to know the guy or girl than actually be the guy or girl. Right. So, I've been doing this investigative work for about 20, uh, 24 years in total, 20, uh, 20 years within the personal injury re- realm. And along those times, I've developed relationships with different investigators um, that that have different specialties, right? So when we're talking about this analysis, you know, there are analysts I work with that all they do is that type of work. So, you know, I've I, i I've, I've been trained. I can, you know, go and do what I, what I can do. And I can only take it to a certain degree. But there are analysts out there that really know how to search like, you know, uh, uh, deep web, right? So, uh, they, they go into places that you wouldn't think to go in where records are, are stored that aren't, you know, if you Google something, you're not going to get it right. Google, you know, people, I don't know if people know that, but it's about 5% of the information that's out on the internet you can get through Google. Right. So there's so much more to it. Right. And there's, also a balance too. So you were talking about databases and things of that nature. So yes, as an investigator, we have databases that we uh, can tap into. We have access to that attorneys don't because we're licensed, right? By the state of New York, we're required to, to be professionally licensed and we're vetted by these data broker companies that come out. They actually come to your workplace and make sure you are who you say you are and they give you more sensitive information. So Sometimes the information that an attorney is getting from like a LexisNexis or, or Westlaw or something like that isn't a complete story because you're not vetted, right? And what that means about value not being a complete story is the data is stale. It's old. You know, so if you're looking at an address, people in New York City move all the time. So uh, an address that's six months old, that's stale already. You don't know how up to date that is. Being able to have access to those databases is really important. And also having personal relationships with people information brokers and people that, that can get you access. So that's when my business really jumped. When I started developing relationships with people that could get me information that I normally couldn't get, I became more valuable at that point. You know, why is satellite investigations better than XYZ or ABC investigations? It's really based upon our relationships with who we know. So it's like, if you have an investigator you're working with and that investigator is having a trouble with a particular case, I encourage you to contact another investigator and just give them that tough case because they may know somebody or have a different set of eyes on it that they could solve your problem. You know, I, I always say uh, that you should at least be working at least two or three investigators on a case, you know, like in your firm. Like having one is just not, not good enough because uh, you, know, as you have your one person that, that you, that's, you've developed that relationship and, and is reliable for you. But there are going to be cases that they struggle with or can't get things done, too. So even, you know, with my business, there have been times where for whatever reason we weren't able to, to solve it. So, yeah, I totally understand it. We want a fresh pair of eyes on it, you know, um, uh, to, to get it done. So it's always important to, to don't put all your eggs in one basket um, and, and make sure that uh, you're reaching out to these different resources. Because really, uh, investigators do have different relationships with different People or different companies out there. Um, one of the things I identified a couple of years ago was the uh, need for technology and really pushing technology. So I, I developed something I call electronic canvassing, where uh, we had the ability to set up geofencing and keyword searches for major accidents. So you would have like an accident in New York City where somebody might be walking by and they'd see what happened and they say, Oh my God, I, j- I just saw this crazy accident. You know, I hope that person is alive or I feel sorry for them, you know, prayers for their families. And then they, they post about it on social media and then they, they go on with their life. And by the time the police show up, nobody knows about them. They don't exist. So I was able to identify and form a relationship with a, uh, a data company that could get me results on those types of searches. So we were finding, direct eyewitnesses for these major accidents that nobody knew about. And they were game changers. I mean, talk about like you know, direct eyewitnesses with liability. It, it, it's just amazing. You know, just having that expertise of knowing where to look and how to how to file that stuff is something that maybe would set my company aside from one of the other investigation companies. You know, just something that, that we do a little bit different. One of the other things also is the open data uh, search, the 311 system. I uh, developed a relationship with a computer programmer who actually happens to be an investigator as well who wrote a code to analyze New York City's open data uh, complaint form. As you know, the 311 system is completely online now. So being able to find prior notice on uh, premises cases is also a game changer, right? Um, Knowing what the complaints are out there before you file your FOIL, you know, like when they come back to you and say, oh, we ran a search and we didn't find anything. It's like, well, no, no, here's complaint number X, Y, Z on, on date so-and-so. Uh, can you please pull this information out? Because you know, what happens with the city sometimes is, is you know, somebody wants to clear something off their desk, and you really don't have the faith that they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, right? Um, that, that, that FOIL search that you file, are they really actually giving you what you ask for? You're, right. you're taking that at, at, on pace, that they, right. they are, and you don't know that. So this was our way to circumvent that. Mm-hmm. So that was another another thing that we do differently as an investigator. So I always like try and approach things differently and expand on my relationships with people to, to problem solve. That, that is what an investigator does, right? We're, we're problem solvers trying to figure out why things happen. I'm mm-hmm. uh, just kind of rolled with it. Hmm.
1: You're describing, you know, being an investigator, you're in the field, right? You're telling us about intakes. You're, you're telling us about interviewing witnesses and how did, how did, the, the COVID pandemic affect, affect you and how you went about your business. And, and then tell us a little bit about how it's going now.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great question, man. So listening to the governor, you know, come on and say, uh, you know, we're turning the faucet off. is very scary. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I remember I was in my office in Manhattan and I shared it with a personal injury attorney and we were having a conversation. He goes, uh, yeah, do you hear about the shelter in place? I'm like, shelter in place. What is that? I've never even heard of that before. And he's like, he's explaining to me what it is. I was like, ah, that'll never happen, right? Fast forward <laughs> two weeks later, <laughs> guess what, shelter in place, right? Uh, yeah. yep. uh, so it was, it was a bit crazy. You know, personally, you know, several of my employees actually were diagnosed positive, And one of them was in the hospital for a bit. And he really, uh, there, was a, there was a point where we thought he was, wasn't gonna make it. So it was really scary. But it, thankfully, he was able to recover. So yeah, that was a bit crazy. That was in March. You know, obviously with attorneys, now you guys weren't going into your offices but you were still working on some files. So I would say like my my business was down about 60%. So we're running about 40 45% of what we typically do. So I used that time to change my system, my internal system. I brought in a case management system to make sure that when things pick back up, I'm better organized and getting clients their documents and their information quicker. I took a whole bunch of webinars and did a lot of continuing education. I did a lot of podcasting (laughs) to get the word out, right? So on my podcast show, I actually did like two extra episodes a week. And I was talking about, you know, COVID-related issues, how to get your PPP, how to pivot your business, because I think that was really important. The investigators that survived this, and I think probably the attorneys for that matter, too, are are people that identified, hey, i got to pivot the way that I'm doing things and really consider taking on different work or doing different things I normally wouldn't do. Um, There was an investigator I talked to who became a courier. For attorneys because they, they were allowed to work. So we were part of it, you know, like the essential services, right? So th- this investigator identified the ability to go to an attorney's office and pick up files and leave them on the doorstep of the paralegals, you know, making sure that they could get their files. Yeah. They weren't making the same kind of money, but there was some income that was still coming in. Um, so, so like identifying that, um, just to, to survive, I thought it was really, really neat. Um, uh, there was another investigator who is a computer specialist, right? He does a lot of Bitcoin investigations and, and things like that. Uh, which, by the way, if you need a, a certified fraud examiner, you know things like that. that that's other things that we can do as well. He created networks for attorneys, right? He worked with them with uh, security protocols. He actually was on the panel for the New York uh, Bar Association for, uh, I guess, putting together what uh, virtual courtrooms were going to look like and the security behind it. So he's a well-known guy out on Long Island and, uh, you know, he pivoted his business to help attorneys set up networks for their own employees and making sure that they're secure. Right. So you had to be really inventive. And for me, I, you know, made a point to call my attorneys, you know, get my constant contacts out to make sure that they knew we're still in business. We're here for you. If we, you know, if you need us for anything. And then, you know, all of a sudden the faucet gets turned back on probably about two weeks ago. And it's incredibly busy right now. Just, uh, my days, is like, uh, I'm doing 10, 12-hour days.
1: Yeah, I, I can imagine. I can't wait for the time when I can have personal interaction with my clients again. I mean, oh, it's been, it, oh my gosh, it's just, we try to do, you know, you were just talking about adapting, right? Everybody's yeah. trying to adapt during this and we're doing the same and we're, you know, I have video communication with the clients, it's just not the same. I mean, you, you described it beautifully earlier, but we're in the business of relationships. You know, we, we form relationships with our clients. There's an obstacle to that. You know, it's tough. So I'm hoping we, um, we can get back real soon. But w- where do you see private investigations going in the future? You know, what, what is, what does it look like, you know, 10 years from now?
0: To me, in my own industry, what I'm seeing is this, this shift uh, where uh, everything's going uh, online, right? So our networking events, right, our training events, everything is, is basically now webinars, right? So going to conferences, like there's going to be less of that. So already, you know, everything's pretty much canceled until January. I see, you know, the, the investigators that are really in tune with technology and implementing technology are the ones that are going to come ahead. I think that the... The guys and gals that do investigations that really don't want to keep up with that, they're going to find themselves, you know, just not being able to be as successful as as the, the folks that do. So there's, you know, that that trend of just kind of implementing computer research. There's always going to be a need for that personal interaction. You know, convincing a witness to sign a statement, is, it's an art. It really is. You know, you really need to know how to talk to somebody and, and create that comfort level, that relationship where they feel comfortable enough to sign a piece of paper. You know, and when you're having that, that old phone call with somebody and convincing them to, to get involved or be involved, especially with COVID now, that makes it a lot harder, right? People just want to stick to themselves and not be involved. You know, it's like if you stick around and you talk to uh, the police, you, you kind of think that they're going to want to be involved, right? They're, they're trying to insert themselves in the story right? Put themselves within the narrative, right? I'm important because I saw what happened. Here's what I have to say, right? So there's a, a fine line, a really, um, a technique to making sure that they're feeling validated by their version of what happened and how important they are and getting them to be involved and getting them to show up to court and getting them to do this stuff. It's, it's a technique. And I think that personal touch is never going to change. You're always going to have, have that, right? So the, the, the investigators that can balance the technology, along with the personal touch, I think are the ones that are going to be, you know, really successful. Sure. Uh, now, if you want to, if you want to talk about short term, you know, where do I see going your short term for the rest of the year? Here, um, you know, I, I kept a pulse on my clients and really talked to them: how you doing, what's going on, everything. And, and I found a lot of them were going to, to mediation, which you had your podcast show on that. I thought that was really good with uh, Judge Skell; it's really awesome episode. Mm-hmm. Um, getting that information out there so uh, my clients I've seen them uh, a lot of them are, are mediating their settling cases because nobody knows when there's going to be jury trials right so you've got a, a, a client who's has a hardship right they've got an injury and they've got bills to pay they've got mortgages maybe they got laid off and it's like all right maybe they will take that that settlement off for now so I see short term just through my conversations with attorneys that I work with that there's been a lot of settlements. They, they, there's a lot of cash that's about to come into uh, a, a point of personal injuries cash flow. Right? There's also this fear that there's going to be another wave, and we're going to have to take a timeout again. So I think within the next like three months or so, there's going to be a strong push on advertising. Everybody's going to be going out there trying to get new cases and really work their case load back up. So if there is a timeout, they're now able to keep the cash flow and do the you know, go through mediations and do what they need to do to keep their firm alive. So I think it's going to be incredibly busy for our industry within the next, you know, three months or so. Just kind of what I've seen on my conversations with, uh, with attorneys out there.
1: Matt, before I let you go, I, I got to tell you, I'm a, I'm a big fan of your podcast. And as an aside, you know, I had been toying with putting a podcast together for a long time and, you know, sort of halfway researching how to do it and sort of had in my mind I was going to do this. After listening to your podcast and speaking with you about it, I finally made the move to do it. So I want to I yeah. want to thank you. And you know I listen to your podcast all the time. It, you have awesome guests. I mean the, these people are I don't know where you find them. I mean you find them in Colorado, you find them all over the country, and they're 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 excellent. It's a very informative podcast. Thanks, thank for, thanks for doing that.
0: You know, I, I know we, we didn't cover a topic I think we we wanted to cover, and just real briefly, I'll I'll, I'll do it. So I, there, there's a gentleman that I I'm, I'm having on by the time this this airs of the episode will be out uh, from Colorado who does asset searches asset recovery right distressed assets. So that's something uh, I, I think attorneys should realize that we can do. We can we can recover or, or get you bank information, uh, and there's a way to do it. And one of the tricks that he had talked about, I'll give, give it real quickly, is if you can identify that. The person you have a judgment against is renting, subpoena their landlord for their checks. If you can identify that that a person uh, is financing a car, subpoena the the, uh, the car dealership, you know, or the or the, uh, the lien holder on the vehicle for the the check. Right, so you get the banking information. Now you know where they do their banking. Right. Two quick little tips that you don't think about. Right, that can help you try and satisfy your judgments. And I thought what was really cool about the guest that I had on is that he buys distressed assets. So if there's a judgment that's out there and somebody wants to be done with it, uh, they figure like, okay, well we'll sell it to somebody else at least we'll get something for it. He actually has a business of buying up that judgments and then working them up and collecting, which I thought was an amazing, uh, little side business going. Yeah, so yeah, um, sure. there's many different things that we can do uh, about that. So, Hey man, like, I think you're doing really great with your podcast too. I think you've got great guests also. I mean, listen, you kicked it off with Andy Lawford. that you can't be, get better than that. <laughs> and he's a, he's a champion, you know, and there's a, there are a lot of social issues and I really appreciate that you're doing that, right? So you're talking about social issues and also educating your, your listeners on, you know, legal Tactics and, and uh, information that's out there. So um, I encourage you to keep at it, man. You're doing really uh, great. Your guests are just as good as mine, man. So uh, keep keep them coming. You got judges on. I mean, you can't uh, you can't uh, uh, compare that. So keep uh, at it. I,
1: I appreciate that, and uh, I'd love to have you back on soon.
0: Right. So, uh, Hey, real quickly, it's PI perspectives for the podcast, by the way. Mm-hmm. So and, and uh, we
1: could find, you could find PI perspectives wherever you get your podcasts or is it everywhere? Yeah. Good.
0: yeah. And Good. if you, and if you don't like doing the podcasting thing, you can't figure it out. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. It's the same exact show. We've just put uh, some images behind it. Um, you can go on and listen to it that way. PI hyphen perspectives.com is the website. Satellite investigations is my business. It's satellite com. I uh, can go check that out. Um, any way we can help a, a personal injury attorney over there if he does
1: great matt thank you very much stay safe and uh, we'll speak with you soon
0: i appreciate it man thanks for the opportunity okay be well you too on behalf of david once again thank you for listening to this episode please take a moment to subscribe and give us a rating at apple podcasts we'll see you next time on the trial brief